G'day guys and welcome to Deadly Discussions. I'm your host Isaac Harrison and this is a podcast on social entrepreneurship where we interview leaders, um, thought um, sort of leaders, different people within social procurement, different people in not for profits who are doing business um, with a purpose to change the world around us with those profits and impacts. So today before I get started I like to acknowledge the Vanarong people of the Kulin Nation down here in Victoria uh, where I'm recording on and our guest today is Benson Solo, so I'm bring him in. Hey Benson, how you going, brother? Really good. Good to see you. Thanks for having me on. Love. No worries at all. I just would like to say, I love the uh, the wood theme at the background there. It's very, uh, um, what would you say? Not almost African Zulu. No, style. it's it's Papua New Guinean. It's uh, oh, yeah. So, so the the artwork here is uh, um, actually from Irakala, um, yep. up in Northeast Arnhem Land. So it's a uh, yep. um, from Gama Festival, and then the the carvings are all from my family's side up in Papua New Guinea. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's it's nice to Fantastic. have that and in we'll, our household. We'll get into that, um, you know, where your mom's from too. And I know you've got um, roots to the islands, um, so, you know, so as I. But Gama Festival, oh Gama, Gama Festival. Of Gama Festival, for our viewers who don't know what that is, can you explain? Uh, the difference between Gama Festival and maybe some other, you know, mainstream Aboriginal festivals around. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so sure. Gama so, Festival happens every year. It's hosted by the Yotha Yindi Foundation. Uh, it takes place on Yolngu country, which is northeast Arnhem Land, um, oh. and it attracts people from all different backgrounds. Um, but there's a really strong focus around uh, bringing corporates and uh, and people working in, in you know, corporate and, and um, professional businesses um, to really engage and be immersed in culture. Um, there yeah. are absolutely music and arts aspects of it, but there's a lot of um, you know political, um, social discussions as well as economic development discussions that take place on country. The yeah. I, I first went in 2009, um, and at that time, you know, you'd pretty much switch off for the whole week, so you wouldn't be connected. Yeah. Um, and it was one of the most amazing experiences that I had. Um, and then. Ten years later, uh, I was fortunate to get back um, to to Gama and um, and you know Telstra had their their big um, satellite yeah. up, so everyone was connected. And it's interesting, you know, not a lot had changed in regards to the the ten years in, in regards to the, the the soul of the festival um, yeah, and, yeah. And, and the purpose, um, but the ability for people dis to disconnect. Um, that that yeah. um yeah no longer existed because people would still be walking around with their phones down yeah, or checking yeah. in on you know yeah. checking their I, emails yeah yeah i think in a way that that sort of ruins it because i like the excuse to disconnect i like the excuse to say hey i'm going to be out of reception i miss those days it's now it's like wherever you go middle of like you know i've been outside of mildura like you know, 30k south that just red dirt and you can still get your, your phone reception and take you know do live videos like you feel like <laughs> I know that sacred feeling of being alone is sort of now violated. So <laughs> yeah, well, the best example is planes. Now, yeah, you know, I used yeah. to love um, jumping on a plane because you'd be up in the air for you know an hour and a half or yeah. whatever, and you'd be disconnected. You could you could read, you could listen to your favorite podcast, um, but yeah. now you're on emails. You you know WhatsApping people. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's a comment around discipline. Yeah, maybe there's a comment there around you know discipline and kind of quarantining. Or lack of better term in current environment, yeah. but quarantining <laughs> that, that time. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, but well, it's so good to have you on. And um, let's start with you know your story. So you know, where's your mob from, and um, you know, where did you grow up? Let's um, start with that. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so 
you know, I, I want to also acknowledge that I'm on Bunurong um, country here in uh, in St Kilda, um, and acknowledge the, the you know the five cooler nations that make up this beautiful country around um, Melbourne um, and Victoria, um, you know, Greater Victoria, Greater Melbourne as well. Um, the thing that I love about personally living in Melbourne and and working in the CBD is that you know under the Hoddle grid, which is you know the the our streets, the main streets of um of, of Melbourne CBD, um, you're standing literally inches above lands that have been cared for and walked on um, for thousands yeah. and thousands of years. And in fact, you know we're very fortunate to be just a stone's throw away from Birong Ma. Um, most people know it as the the Yarra River, but Birong Ma. And uh, as you walk along, um, you know along those banks, you know you're still passing trees, you know scar trees. You know these are these yeah. are markings, these are stories that that are still, you know still you know current still um you know in our you know in contemporary australia um but still connect us back um to to our you know to our ancestors to our people um and i guess with my story like like a lot of our mob is that you know the story doesn't start with me it starts with you know generations before um sure but for me like i i want to you know start with my mum's journey a little bit and um you know, she she grew up in a tin shed with dirt floors on the outskirts of a little town called Border Town in South Australia. Um, yeah, wow. You know, she was, uh, um, you know, she remembers growing up in the time where you know the living in a paddock, you know, growing up where you know the toys and furniture was from the local tip. Um, you know that that old saying that one man's trash is another man's treasure. Um, it was yeah, very wow. much true for for the way that my mum grew up, and. Um, you know, and she remembers it for, for those times. And my grandmother, who lived to be 100 years old, um, she would actually correct me. She would say, no, I was 100 years old in six months. <laughs> <laughs> That's how she would correct me. And, um, you know, she remembers it for the times that were, you know, really – um, you know, scared around you know, child protection coming in and removing yeah. kids, which was um, you know government policy at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, living in a tin shed, it was always kept immaculately clean, um, yeah. but there was always the perception around Aboriginal people neglecting their kids or um, you know, yeah. or being you know kids being in danger and the idea of protection um, from yeah. you know the government services coming in. So she remembers it for for those times, um, but my mum just remembers it for all the adventures, you know, growing up with her yeah, with her course. sisters and, and her eldest son, uh, eldest brother. He was um, a Vietnam vet who is a Vietnam vet. Um, she remembers it for the adventures, and that for me, it's that that beauty of you know parents allowing their kids to be kids even yeah. in the most difficult situations. And and we'll probably touch on that a bit later because, you know, we've, we've both got um, young kids as well and I'd love right, to yeah. chat to you about that. And then throw it to my father's side. Uh, yeah. He's from a very small village called Lafu, um, which yeah. is from uh, New Island province in Papua New Guinea. So yeah. to get to my father's village, you, you fly up to Port Moresby and you take yeah. another flight up to, to Rabal and then you fly another flight up um, into a little town, or the main town called Kaviang. Um, back in the day, it was a grass runway, so you'd go skidding along, and you'd eventually get pulled. <laughs> it was the most like scariest thing ever. And then um, we used to have a Toyota Hilux up there called the Green Machine, and yeah, um, yeah. the most people we ever had in it was uh, nineteen people, just packed wow. on it. And yeah, uh, you wow. drive for about three hours, um, and you got on one side, you got the mountains where all the you know gardens, a lot of subsistence farmers still um, yeah, you know, working yeah. the land, and on the other side, there's there was cliffs that would drop away into this beautiful deep ocean and then you drive three hours and you come to this smoky village and you know this is our family's village and um 
you know, they still cook over open fire. There's no electricity. Yeah. There's one tap that was installed by um, Austrade um, yeah. many years ago that just drips. Yeah. I think it keeps everyone awake at night. It's that yeah, one yeah. village dripping tap. <laughs> and then you walk about um, about 10 minutes down to this beautiful golden beach and uh, yeah. and there's a beautiful clear blue water as you walk out to the edge. But um, my father was actually born on, on a beach. And so we yeah, don't wow. actually know how old he is. Um, <laughs> and so, um, yeah, he, he has, you know, you know, the old fellas have those really dark, um, you know, dark eyes that, you know, yeah, um, just, yeah. you know, just, dark, um, you know, just soul. Yeah, you know, he can see his soul yeah. in, um, in their yeah. eyes. He's got yeah. those, those kind of eyes. And um, and so, yeah, we don't know if, if, how I, old he is. I wonder if that's a, um, a good thing or a bad thing, not knowing how old you are, because it's just that, that uh, old saying of you're as old as you feel. Yeah. How old are you? Well, the, the beauty of my my father used to do, he used to pick out a, a day in the year and just yeah. call it his birthday. And so <laughs> at, at any time, you could be, you just be living in fear, waiting for that phone yeah. call. And you go, hey, son, yeah. he calls me son, he doesn't call me Benson. Hey, son, yeah. uh, you know what day it is? And, oh, yeah, no, it's a Thursday. No, no, no it's yeah. my birthday. So, <laughs> so at any time, you could be 100 bucks down. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. That would be really good if you're like shorten the bills that week. You just announce it's your birthday. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah. Make the calls and people will just have to abide by the rule. Birthday. Yeah, exactly. Just pass the hat around. So, so, they, um, so they're born in a, in a way two different worlds, but very similar socioeconomic yes. conditions, um, relying on sustenance, farming, living off the land. Um, having family around. And the story you tell reminds me of my mum as well, talking about they would, you know, wait till the, the um, train would come through up at um, Air of North Queensland and sometimes pineapples would fall off that train. So all the kids are like, you know, first yeah. one to the train train tracks gets the pineapple. So um, <laughs> it's just crazy that what was um, those moments of joy and bliss. And my mum, yeah. you know, came from the same, um, you know, yeah. You know, my granddad got sick of working for free, you know, so he went to turn to the drink and, you know, that compounding effect. So, so you, how did your parents, how did your parents meet then? They almost seemed like Well, it's apart, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And actually, it's a really beautiful comment, Isaac, in regards to, the, you know, these are not unique stories. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These are stories that are shared by our people right across the country. And um, yeah. and I'm sure we'll, we'll come back to that idea of that truth telling piece because that's an important element here. Um, but my parents actually met in uh, uh, Bimbadeen Bible College in Kudamundra. Um, yeah, well. So my father was a young minister. Um, so he left school at equivalent to about grade three and um, yeah. and kind of traveled around the islands. Um, it was speaking about six different dialects, um, yeah. which is incredible. <laughs> and um yeah, and uh, started to see as a young minister, and um, it was around the time that the revival was uh, kind of happening up in the islands, and so yeah. it was this. So previous kind of teachings was really anti-culture. It was yeah, you know yeah. like you know culture is paganistic, you know keep that away. Yeah, but yeah. the yeah. the revival is actually a, a broader understanding of um you know of of, of God's you know creations. It yeah. was um this idea I like to refer it as kind of opening of the umbrella. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah. actually saying, you know, culture and identity, you know, and traditions, these are these are really important celebrations of life. Yeah. And um and so that was the, the beauty of the, the revival is that actually it, it embraced all it embraced cult, the culture and, and most traditions. And yeah. um and that was really what drove my, my father within in the church. And um yeah. you know, it led to him coming out to uh to Sydney as a nineteen year old, um, rocked up yeah. during winter with shorts and t shirts and with a small bag. <laughs> um 
and um yeah and and yeah the mum and dad met and and then their first um church that they looked after after they graduated um was actually yeah. up in um up in brisbane so we used to live yeah, in ashgrove wow. yeah and um uh, yeah. and so yeah. yeah you know you you'd know ashgrove and um, yeah. musgrave park as well yeah ah uh, yes <laughs> yeah so um early ministry that dad was running was um, also yeah. around Musgrave Park but we did I did all my growing in in Tamworth in New South Wales where yeah, dad had yeah. a choice of the Kimberleys or Tamworth and he yeah. liked country music so we had to go to Tamworth <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I guarantee there's probably country music in the Kimberleys as well <laughs> oh yeah and the like best kind as well it's, it's awesome <laughs> Gimpy like the muster <laughs> yes. Queenslander knows the connection between Tamworth and Gimpy is the muster so go to country music, but I also have been riddled with country music as a child. So I'm, I still listen to it out of, uh, out of respect. So. Oh yeah. So good. Um, so parents met, uh, off Tamworth. So you grew up in Tamworth, schooling in Tamworth, um, finishing school. Do you go into university or straight into work? Well, I started a, um, the school-based trainee, um, within yeah. ANZ Bank. So I started working at the age of 15 as a bank teller and, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, I was the third to come through the program with ANZ, um, which started up in country New South Wales. And yeah. by the time I finished year 12, um, there was uh, – so I finished with a certificate two in business and certificate three in um, business finance on top of my HSD. And so I made yeah. the decision to, to move to Sydney and, um, and studied a Bachelor of Business Management and Marketing um, yeah, well. whilst also working for the bank. However, um, you know, I was spending, you know, my day at, at work and, um, and, and, you know, dealing with people, dealing with customers, getting their hands-on experience, which is the thing that I yeah. really value. Um, and then going to uni at night and learning about company A, B, and C and not really yeah. seeing the translation or the real world yeah. coming through yeah. the textbooks. So I actually walked out of an accounting lecture um, about, um, you know, eight, eight or nine months into my studies. And, yeah. Um, yeah. and so I, I still to this day don't have a university degree um, this yeah. is not something I'm particularly proud of or dismissive of yeah, either. Yeah. Um, I'll make sure I put down the notes. Doesn't have a diverse <laughs> university yeah. degree. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for me, I, I really loved and valued hands-on experience. And um, yes. you know, and whilst I was working in the bank, I'd already had. You know, by the time I was 18, I'd already had three years of experience as a as a bank teller um yeah, yeah. and i was fortunate in when i turned 19 i got a promotion up to assistant manager in business banking so i was 19 years old um working with companies that were worth half a million to, to 10 million dollars yeah, um, wow. yeah. in the cbd of, of um you know in martin place in in sydney yeah. um and that just kind of broadened my mind as to what was possible um yeah. you know i was also you know the youngest on the floor and also the only Indigenous person um, in in business banking um, in the CBD at that time. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, and so for me, there was always this thing in the back of my mind, though. It's this idea of, like, you know, there's got to be something more. Um, yeah. You know, and, and to paint the picture, you know, I was very fortunate. I was, you know, living in Kirribilli. Um, I, I lived in a very small attic um, with my brother yeah. and a mate. And um, <laughs> it didn't even have a door. It was yeah, and um, the window wouldn't close properly. So if the rain came on a different on a certain angle, I'd have to like move my bed so I didn't oh, get wet. Wow. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, when you're 19, 20, like it, it, that stuff doesn't bother you. And yeah. um, you know, be catching the ferry to work. You know, wearing a suit yep. going to the office. Um, and you know, for most people, that's yeah, that's success. That's making it. Um. But in the yeah. back of my mind, there was always this idea of, you know, there's got to be something more. Like, yeah. this is 
like you're living for you like what about living you know for others as well yeah. and you know that's a really mature thought in regards to you know that's my reflection on it and I, you know i yeah. wouldn't have actually had those kind of that language at the time but it was yeah. that you know that upbringing of you know we you know when mum would set the table there would always be an extra table just because you never know who turned up and you always want to be yeah, able to feed yeah. whoever turned up on your door yeah. yeah and so it was always a um you know what what impact or what, what else can i be doing um yeah, and so at that time i met my my, my now wife um then girlfriend yeah. at um age 19 uh 20 uh she came down to to melbourne to finish she's a doctor in clinical and forensic psychology um so we yeah. moved down together and um yeah, and I kept working, and then eventually I found myself at Northeast Arnhem Land at Gama Festival, where we started yeah. this conversation. And yeah. clear as day, as I was <laughs> sitting around the campfire um, with these old fellas talking about connection to country, you know, culture, um, you know, what what it is to to be Aboriginal, but from the you know the, the deepest yeah. sense in regards to yeah. spirituality, you know, the the flesh on your bones. What does that mean to you? And clear as day, I just had this realization that I needed to get out of the bank. I'd been in there for about yeah. seven years and yeah. um, it had become my safety blanket. Again, that idea yeah. like, you know, am yeah. I serving myself here or, or yeah. you know, do I have the ability to serve others? And, um, and about two months later, within an hour, I received yeah. the same email three times. And, um, yeah. and, uh, and it was to say that um, UN Youth Representative um, – roles uh, was available yeah. like was was open and hiring and yeah, uh yeah. so that year 2011 my life changed and um there was 300 yeah. people had applied for this role they take one yeah. a year um and i was fortunate to be appointed the australian youth representative to the united nations yeah, wow. uh, which was an incredible experience yeah that's so good and so you're at the un you get to go travel the world now or <laughs> well <laughs> that year actually that year i probably spent two months at home um yeah wow yeah so yeah. I, I undertook six months of traveling so i did a national engagement tour so i yeah. you know connected with about six thousand people face to face at conferences and workshops and then another yeah. twenty one thousand yeah. online but ultimately yeah. it was to understand well, what issues impact young people what issues yeah. drive them but ultimately what kind of impact do they want to have on the world around them yeah. and uh and so that that was you know full of amazing experiences and you know throughout this conversation, I'm sure I'll, I'll kind of reflect on some of those and, and bring the, some of those yeah, stories. Um, yeah. And then that kind of all culminated into three months living in New York, um, being based at the UN and the Australian permanent mission to the UN yeah. and, um, yeah. and leading negotiations on two resolutions. And uh, yeah. the one that I, I feel most proud about, which is also still very relevant today, which is around the, the impacts of the global financial crisis on young people. So yeah, talk about yeah. traineeships, entrepreneurship, um, yeah. you know, social business as well. Um, but ultimately thinking about, well, what are these transferable skills or what, what world are young people inheriting and how are we yeah. preparing them today for that? Yeah, 100%. And um, so you come, so when you left uh, the bank, did you think, oh, you know, this, the, did you have a fallback or you just sort of stepped out and just followed that, you know, cultural calling? Um, you know, once speaking to the elders, you just felt that spiritual you know, release and then you've stepped out and that came yeah. or how did that work? Well, it's a good question. No one's actually asked me like what, what was that kind of thinking? But my first reaction is the busyness of life, um, yeah. which is you have that moment, you know, in a, an immersive experience at the Gama Festival and you come back and you step out of that world 
into yeah. yeah and i don't like this notion of two worlds but but i kind of go along here with me on this it's like you step out yeah. of that experience and um and you're back into your everyday life where you're dealing with emails you know you you're dealing yeah. with work you're dealing with life and relationships you go back to being very reactive yeah yeah spot on yeah and the the difference there is the ability to reflect and um kind of absorb versus yeah. your, to your point like reacting and um you know always you know that knee-jerk reaction or feeling like you 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 feel like you're like missing something yeah, yeah, yeah. um and so i i let it go for about two months I, I hadn't thought too much about it until that yes. morning when i got that email yeah yeah so, wow. and so you go you went and then i know you did some time at oz unity as well that's right where I, i've met you and then i eventually met your brother i think the one that probably was living in the attic with you <laughs> no he had a proper lounge no yeah sorry oh. he had a proper room so uh oh. i'm the youngest he was like up in the attic uh, yeah. So Oz, you did some time at Oz Unity as well. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So, um, but before that, which kind of led into into yep. my role at Australian Unity was, um, uh, you know, I, I, after I came back from the UN, I launched what's called the National Indigenous Youth Leadership Academy, which yep. supported young people to to run and drive social action campaigns on issues that impact all Australians. Um, then I made a quick jump across back into the private sector when I yep. realised, you know, I was I was twenty five. It's not really where I wanted to be. It felt safe yeah. again, yeah. Um, yeah. and uh, and so I took some time off. I was yeah. very fortunate to be able to take a bit of time off. But you know, you know, coming back to the idea, you know, where where I was in Australian Uni actually started when I was selected to go across to Switzerland to a um yeah. a symposium called um, St Gallen, um, yeah. and St Gallen is the uh, essentially pitched as the nexus between. Uh, enterprise, economics, and politics, and so they bring people yeah. from around the world to to Switzerland for for this five day symposium. And I was sitting in a plenary session, and they had the finance minister for Singapore, and um and he was asked a question by this BBC reporter, and and the question was, yeah. do you believe in this idea or this notion of um of a government safety net? Yeah. And he and he thought on it for a while, and he said. Uh, no, not not really. He goes. Uh, so I believe in this notion more of a of a trampoline. So yeah. when people hit financial hardships or hard times, there's something there to catch yeah. them, which is that which is the the government safety net or the safety net. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's things around them to help springboard them back up. Yeah, and yeah. I remember sitting in that room. You know, it was packed, and the lights were low, and they were really focused in on these two um, you know panelists and these two speakers. And I could feel the cogs in my mind. You know, kind of twisting and kind of falling into yeah. gear because yeah. I'd only ever viewed finance as transactional. Yeah. You know, coming yeah. from the bank, it's like, we're a banker, you need money, we'll give you money. You know, yeah. the relationship is you pay us back in seven years, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it was very transactional, um, almost to the point where it was kind of cold, where, yeah. you know, risk decisions are made from the the memo that you write up to the, yeah. the risk, you know, um, yeah, team. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and he was talking about, you know, financial inclusion and financial resilience. Yeah, you know, he was talking about what are the other enablers in people's lives that need to be bolstered yeah. Um, yeah. to be able to support people to bounce back when, like everyone, have yeah. has a financial hardship. Um, yeah. And so, what that what that led me to do was actually start kind of questioning and pursuing this idea of well, how can organisations lead 
this notion of financial inclusion. And uh, yeah. you know, I went and worked at Good Shepherd Microfinance for um, a, a good while, and we were taking international frameworks on financial um, inclusion from the G20, the OECD, and World Bank, and looking yeah, at wow. how we apply them at a domestic level, yeah. led by corporations. Yeah. And I just happened to be pitching to to Australian Unity at the time to bring yeah. them on board as a trailblazer, and yeah. um, I got tapped on the shoulder, and they said, "Hey." Would like to would like to launch the financial inclusion action plan, um, yeah. but we kind of want you to come and help us drive it. And yeah. so, so that's how I end up coming back that's across it. Okay. Yeah, that's fantastic. It, I hear Mob sharing similar stories where they come in to consult or come in to launch something or aid, and then the person's like, "Hey, do you want a job?" <laughs> yeah, and what that says for you know people that are out there in the consulting roles is that your knowledge is valuable, and yes, yes. you know, and your perspective is a perspective that adds value to a business. And, and I think what we bring, what our people bring to you know, any workplace is you know, the, the focus on relationship building, um, but then yeah. also viewing things from a different lens. And, um, yeah. and, I, and I think about you know, what is the lens that we, that we provide? It's actually, it's relationship-based. It's, yeah. it's, you know, we actually understand what are the components of trust as well? Yeah. Um, because, yeah. you know, we operate in high trusting relationships in our communities, but we've also, we know when there's, you know, what happens when there is no trust as yeah, well. Yeah, 100%. I think uh, we as Aboriginal people, so, and our other First Nations and the islands and stuff around us, you know, I've got the South Sea Island connection, New Caledonia, Vanuatu, and yeah. uh, very uh, emotional, intelligent people, very aware of other people. If someone's carrying something or they're sad or they're down, very aware about that. Um, but it's also that, that, like you said, the negative side effect is when trauma or pain comes in our communities. Uh, it, it completely cripples our mob so that they can't actually go and do what they need to do because they get that knee jerk or a trigger or something that's traumatic that's happened to them in the past. But yeah, the perspective that we have is yeah, we see something so different on how that, like our vision for what we see our country to be is, is often quite different from our second peoples in Australia who have this vision of this is Australia and this is what the you know, golden bronze Aussie, and this is what it looks like to be successful. You have a house in Bondi Beach, you know, or Byron Bay. But us as Aboriginal people see our land as something completely different. And so I think that value, like you said, um, the value and then how we administer that through our different talents, mm -hmm. um, it all looks different. You know, me and you are on similar, similar tangents in life and professional, you know, corporate professional, but we do things completely different, but we get the same results in our community. And I think that's such a beautiful thing because different mob all do different ways of going about, you know, their business and um, there's massive value in that. And um, yeah, there's a huge, as we know, there's a huge demand for Aboriginal talent in Australia, yeah. you know, especially Absolutely. for hiring. Yeah. You've got to almost start at primary school. <laughs> so come, come, come for you. Yes. We'll pay for it. Come work for us. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah mob who, yeah, are just incredible. You see us, our, our people on the sports field, what they can do it's just amazing so um well we'll push on to the last question because oh, yeah. i know we're, we're nearly 30 minutes in and we've just talked about the story so Oz <laughs> Unity, and we'll tie this into your future as well so it's funny you said um the tap installed at the village was from austrade and now you're working at austrade so yeah <laughs> you can finally fix the tap um, maybe install another tap that's better and some solar yeah. power and some batteries and we'll start you know, getting the village some internet connection and then you can have online school, you know, tutoring, I don't know. But it's just exciting. So 
Oz Unity, did you did you do the same the Benson step out in faith moment where you said, "Oh, I'm done," and then this jobs come up, or you sort of you felt that calling and applied for it? How did it sort of transpire? Yeah, so I've always wanted to um, work internationally. Um, it's yeah. been a calling for for me for um, for a long time. Um, I think there's something. So ultimately, the impact that I want to have in the world is actually here in Australia. But I yeah. think there's some beauty in regards to taking a different perspective and viewing Australia from the outside in. Um, yeah, sure. And then I think also the, the obviously being a I believe in you know being a global citizen as well. So yeah. understanding well, you know, how can we learn from other um, other nations and other experiences to to be able to bring them in and apply them at a at a you know at the context of, of Australia. Um, yeah. So that. Something's been helping me, and so um, when this this opportunity, when this role came, um, I essentially cold applied for for the role, and yeah. uh, it was quite a long process. So um, yeah. a lot of people, because it was actually announced when you know it was at the height of the Black Lives Matter kind of movement, and um, yeah. and so a lot of people were drawing kind of connection between you know my appointment from the Australian government into this role yeah. going into Houston to yeah. a response to what was actually happening around Black Lives Matter yeah. nationally yeah. as well as internationally. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people don't realise that actually my final interview was on Christmas Eve. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, so this is, um, yeah, wow. so my my final interview that I had, and it was, you know, quite an extensive yeah. process. Um, so my daughter, people, you know, commu- I know with, you know, bilateral violence or jealousy within our communities, were people sort of tying it, oh, he only got it because, you know, Black Lives Matter and, you know, was that some of the, the feedback you were getting? Yeah, it, it was. Um, but not, oh. not just from not from our mob. Yeah. It was also, um, you know, it's, you know, the, the anonymity of, of Twitter and social media just allows yeah. people to kind of turn that space into a quite toxic space. Yeah, so something yeah, that yeah. should yeah. be something, you know, you know, we should be as a nation kind of proud yeah. of, you know, stepping in as the, yeah. the first Indigenous Consul General anywhere in the world um, yeah, was suddenly tied to this idea of, oh, no, it's a reaction because we need to yeah, be seen. Yeah, to be first right. Band, left first, right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Um, so that yeah. kind of took the glean off it um, to a certain yeah. extent. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, but my brother, he said, um, if they think it's, you know, done in reaction to the Black Lives Matter movement, people obviously have never dealt with Centrelink. Things don't happen yeah. that quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like... man, I, yeah, I've got some moments in life where um, there were the Brisbane floods. I was working at Qantas on the ground and I couldn't get to work because uh, the gateway closed up and all these other restrictions. And, uh, yeah, getting a payment from them as, uh, you know, like an allowance to cover my bill, it was like come so late, you know. I was like, oh, imagine having to deal with these guys on a regular basis. Oh, when I was a student as well, oh. Yeah. yeah, I never want to go back to the doll. I'll do anything today you know, not to go back yeah. to. Yeah, that's the thing. Like people don't realize how long these kind of big processes take. Yeah, and so um, yeah. yeah. So by the time um we actually touch down in Houston, which will be around December, January, my yeah. daughter will be o- over a, a year old, and she was twelve yeah, days wow. old when I had my um final interview. So <laughs> it's it's a yeah, long yeah. process. Yeah, oh, that's incredible. Um, no, it's so exciting. And people who who listen to this, I hope. You know, um, they understand that the journey to get to positions of um, responsibility um, for our people um, is very, is you've got to be your character, you've got to be proven, you've got to be tested. Um, you know, you can't just rock up on the merit of your skin color um, or the lack of merit on your skin color or the way you speak or who you know. You know, you've got to actually be able to handle that role. 
and handle that responsibility because yeah you know you're going to be learning from um you know um, uh, african-american brothers and sisters over there maybe even the the you know apache or navajo or the first nation people over there as yep. well and um bringing that back over for the benefit of the wider aboriginal community so uh, good Absolutely. on you brother and um so when you when you touch down is this going to be a long post are you going to be 10 years in the states or come back with an american accent or what's going <laughs> what's the plan what's the uh, next 10 years look at i, I know you plan I know you're yeah, a planner. I'm so. a bit of a planner. Um, <laughs> um, actually, that was, you know, when my girlfriend, now now wife, um, yeah. you know, she would be always surprised because I'd always have books under my under my bed with, like, goals always written down <laughs> and, and kind of reflections. Or I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd write down, you know, oh, lines no. for, for speeches yeah. and things. So I'm, like, yeah. constantly, you know, planning about these things. But um, yeah. the, the this posting is uh, for the next three years, um, yeah. which – you know, my mum, when I first told her, she was like, oh, this is great. She didn't She didn't go there. She didn't say, oh, no, wonderful. She went, wait a second. My granddaughter's going to come back with a Texan accent. <laughs> that was her first <laughs> reaction. <mom>. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's always the potential of actually having two yep. postings internationally, um, which would then take yep. us up to about six years. Um, yep. You know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But like I said before, ultimately, my impact I want to have here is here in Australia. Um yep. I'm a strong believer in, you know, people being able to drive for change within systems. Um, yeah. You know, for the last five years, I've been, you know, speaking a lot about this idea or this notion of a disciplined nonconformist. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, you think about disciplined and then nonconformity and, um, yeah. you know, these are quite, you know, in competition or juxtaposed yeah. from each other. But um, it's actually based on a quote by uh, Martin Luther King. And he said, yeah. the hope of a livable, secure world lies with disciplined nonconformists that dedicate their lives to peace, justice, and brotherhood. And yeah. um, early on, I was exploring that, you know, the, the life dedication of peace, justice, and brotherhood or, or connection yeah. to, to kind of use different language. But actually, the, the beauty in that line is the archetype of a disciplined nonconformist, and yeah. um, and in my mind, you know, it's easy to to nonconform. You know, um, you yeah. know, it's it's easy to go against the grain. In 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 some yeah. instances, what's difficult is to have understanding of the intent and purpose and a long term view of the impact that you want to have. Yeah. By the act of nonconforming. Yeah. And so, yeah. so for me, when I look at that, when I think about that quote and what I've been speaking about is the ability to work within systems to be able to change systems or yeah. to use an extension of, um, you know, of, uh, Martin Luther King's um, line around, you know, bending the arc towards justice. Yeah. You know? He doesn't talk about snapping it off and rebuilding it elsewhere. He talks yeah. about kind of bending it towards an outcome and the outcome he's referring to is justice. Yeah. And so when I think about, you know, as an extension of that kind of conversation is, well, what does justice look like or yeah. what, what is just? Um, you know, there's two, two ways that I kind of look at this. Um, and, and one way is, you know, well, what's, what's just in regards to relationships that we have with each other, you know, yeah. in regards to kind of equality or, or you know, respect and, and fair treatment. Um, yeah. And then the other side is also what's that, that higher, you know, the higher purpose, what's coming down, what's looking at us in regards to, you know, for for the for the world like what's what's most just what are we here to do um yeah. and for me i think it's you know we're caretakers we're, yeah. we're ultimately caretakers of, of the lands that we walk and so what's yeah. just is also well, what's ecological you know what's spiritual yeah. you know what's relationship you know it's Animal. actually yeah. it's that it's that 
greater purpose in which all humans should be striving towards. And I think, you know, if I can play a role, you know, in, in any way in regards to shaping organisations to help us towards that, that notion of justice, um, you know, that's the impact that I hope to have in, in, yeah, in the world. Yeah, no doubt you will have that impact. You know, I love Martin Luther uh, King because, yeah, like William Cooper, you know, he did, yep. he put into action about we're not going to boot our second peoples and white fellows out of the country. We're not going to completely erase what's happened. What's happened has happened and it's horrific. But we're going to bend it now to recompense, to reconciliation, to um, returning the steward. Like you said, we're all battling to say who's going to steward this land? Who's going who's gonna to look after it? And our people have been here for thousands of years and know it the best, but our people have been hurt you know, by the other party. And so it's like, well, how do we now work together, bring our people back to looking after country, looking after the earth, and taking learnings of the West and the learnings of, you know, what um, Whitefella has done and what um, other migrants have come and done, and then also learnings from us. And then, yeah, like you said, peace and justice, because it's, yeah, it's so hard because I think our mob, because there's so much pain, we can just be so, we can get aggressive and, and just be like, you know, you know, screw you guys, we don't want any of you, and, and we get on one side. Sort of not got to conform, but then also be very disciplined on what the outcome is. Um, because yeah. I'm, I'm sure, like Martin Luther and and uh, Malcolm X, you know, the the fatigue you would have every day, every hour, getting bombed, bombarded, and you're just like, nah, this is the vision, this is the goal. And you can see as those men get older how tired they were, you know, from just carrying that all the time. So I think this next, not not so much a revolution, but this next like. Re- renaissance in Australia will be of all cultures because we all, we've worked out by now, we all don't agree on everything. <laughs> we all don't get along on everything, but how do we live together in peace, you know, and in harmony? So thanks yeah. so much for coming on, brother. So what, you know, what's, let's go, I'll, I usually finish off on 10 years, but let's say 20 years from now, have you got 50 kids? You know, you're living on the island. What's, what's, what's happening? Such a it's a hard thing to consider. I um was recently asked to to write a um a post for a um for a wonderful magazine called Dumbo Feather, which operates out yeah. here in um in Melbourne. And yeah. this is exactly the question: What's the twenty year vision? Um, and it was very hard to picture what the world will look like. Um, yeah. But the way that I kind of reflected on it was actually: so my daughter will be twenty in yeah. twenty years. You know? Yeah. And um, you know, when we think about well, what's the current, you know current environment that she's in at the moment so we know about issues related to gender-based violence um there was a a wonderful talk by natasha stott despoia who's the the chair of our watch um so she um, gave an address yesterday at the national press club around the the scourge and the 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 pandemic of of gender-based violence um still existing here in our in our communities across australia um you know there's also the issues around pay equality um, as well. Yeah. And so when I think about what's the world in 20 years' time, I think about, well, what kind of world do I want for my daughter? And yeah, it's a sure. world where, you know, she can believe the line that my father used to say to me that he used to say, never think the world is not yours. You know, yeah. I want to actually be able to sit with my daughter and tell her, you know, never think the world is not yours. Um, you know, yeah. everything's afforded to you in, in this life. Um, and I want to truly believe it. And um, yes. and then I think about well, if that's the if that's the vision in twenty years time, 
then what are we doing today to actually change that? Because yeah, change cool. isn't, it just doesn't happen. You know, change is not, yeah. you, know, it, you know, change is inevitable, but it also takes people as actors in that change to make things happen, right? Yeah, 100%. And so, so I, you know, it's almost a, it's a challenge now putting a, you know, a fuse in 20 years time. Yeah. You know, well, what do we want that to look like? And, um, yeah. and so in 20 years time, I'll be, oh, goodness. I'll be old. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll be in my early um, 50s. 50 years old. Yeah. You'll, you'll be a bit, bit grayer in your beard. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want gray. I want to go white. You know, I want to look like Gandalf with this beard. You know? Yeah, that's true. That's, uh, anyway, I'll, have yeah, a, that's classy. I'll have a little pointy hats, you know. Yep. <laughs> Hopefully I'll be in politics. I'll walk in with my staff and my little pointy hat. Yep. You know, yeah, that's it. Pass, you know? <laughs> this legislation. Uh, awesome, bro. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Table it. So, yeah. Um, thanks for coming on, brother. It's been such an awesome, uh, you know, blessing to hear you, hear you talk and your, your journey. And I know one day, and you probably already started writing your book, um, but you haven't told me if you have, but I'm assuming you have. And it'll be an awesome read. Um, I think an inspiration for a lot of mob that, um, you know, I think your, your life is, is marked with a legacy of steps of faith. And I think that's really uh, honourable because, yeah, like you said, once you start getting that feeling of I'm the same, feeling of security and the feeling of I've done well, you know, I can sit back, that's when you need to get up and go to something else. Yeah, that's it, yeah. getting itchy feet. <laughs> that's it, itchy feet. Thanks, brother. And uh, hopefully we get you back uh, soon as well in maybe a year or two, maybe when yeah. you're in Houston. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be accustomed to early mornings, I reckon, just to make the time zone work. That's it. I'll make it painful too. I'll make sure it's like 2.30 or something. <laughs> Thanks, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much.